Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. This morning I plan to continue on in looking at the Sermon on the Mount. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 5. We'll be looking at verses 38 through 42. These verses here at the end of chapter 5 contain Jesus' teaching regarding our relationship with others, how we relate to others and how we deal with wrongs and offenses. And you know, these verses are very applicable for every one of us because we all relate to other people every day. Some of those people are our family members, others are co-workers or employees, others are neighbors, others are strangers that we meet up with, have interactions with, people we don't even know, but yet we rub shoulders with them. We interact. God has created us as social beings. And we live a continual existence of interaction with other people. So as we interact with other people, we have a continual opportunity to put these teachings into practice. And it's through the practice of relating to other people on a day-to-day way that we often make the most impact on other people, either for good or for ill. We can follow all of Jesus' commands in the previous part of this passage. But if we fail to carry out how we react and relate to other people, we can destroy our Christian witness and testimony very quickly. But if we carry these commands out successfully in how we relate to others, I can guarantee you that people will notice. They will see something different within us. Because how we treat people, how we react to circumstances, have a direct impact and influence on other people. So I'd like to read these verses at this time, verses 38 through 42 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whoso ever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. 
Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn turn not thou away. Here we have another one of Jesus' contrasts between the Old Testament law and what he was requiring of his followers. I'd like to consider first a little of the previous command given here in verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was given in the Old Testament law in at least three different places. The one is Exodus 21, 24 through 25. It says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, stripe, excuse me, hand, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This is an ancient law. This law goes back even to non-Christian settings. From a legal standpoint, this is known as lex talionis, or the law of retribution. Or we might say the law of tit for tat. Equal, equal pay for the crime. Seeing that someone gets what they deserve. And in a lot of ways, as we look at offenses, that would seem to be fair. You knock my tooth out, you pay. Equal. But while it may seem fair in a way, it also seems somewhat violent as well. And I'd like to consider that a little bit and look a little deeper at this law and and how it was to be viewed. First of all, we need to recognize that in giving this command in the Old Testament, God was placing limitations on man's natural tendency to seek vengeance for an offense. Our sinful human nature will cause us, if we are offended or if we suffer loss at someone else's hands, our human nature will will cause us not just to seek an equal payment, but we'll try to give a little bit more in return for what we got. We'll try to one-up the person who offended us. Case in point is the, the old story of the feud between the Hatfields and McCoys on the Kentucky-West Virginia border. Went on for years. One side would do something, and the other side would repay them according to their thoughts. 
and then the other side would have to do something else in retaliation. And scores of people died, and it went on for, I'm not sure, maybe over 100 years. Because our human nature is to get back, and when we get back, we don't care that it's even. We want to go just a little further. So this Old Testament law was limiting the vengeance or retaliation for the offense. Gave no room for one-upping the person that offended you. Instead, it was to provide justice. It provided justice, not retribution. And there's a big difference between justice and retribution. Secondly, according to commentaries I was, have read, this law was not given as the right of a private individual to carry out repayment for the offense. But rather, it was given as a guideline for the judge or the courts of law in those days to make decisions on how to uh, repay for an offense. In other words, if someone hit you and knocked out a tooth, it didn't give you the right to just turn around and slug him a good one and knock his tooth out and say, well, now we're even. That's not what this law was about. It was a guide for the judge or the court of law to make a ruling for the individual who brought an offense before the court. And thirdly, from what I've read, apparently this law was not necessarily literally carried out. The Jewish jurists or lawyers argued that to literally carry out this command could be unjust in itself because we have no guarantee that the tooth that got knocked out was an equal tooth to the other one that's being repaid. In other words, maybe a bad tooth is getting knocked out in exchange for a good tooth or a bad eye for a good eye. And so then that's not just. So rather than knocking out teeth and eyes, they had developed guidelines that I'm not going to go into this morning that assessed the loss of the individual on five different points. And it assigned a monetary value on those five points to that loss. And that was the amount of fine that the offender had to pay. So here again, we're talking about thousands of years ago. We don't know exactly how all this was done, but I believe that this was carried out for the most part in a more civilized manner than what we may think on the surface of knocking out teeth and gouging out eyes. So hopefully that helps us to understand the Old Testament law that Jesus was addressing, to see that it was not a barbaric law, but rather it was a law that limited retrib 
retribution. It provided justice rather than retribution. And it was given as a guide to be used by the proper authorities. And it was probably carried out in a somewhat civilized manner. So that was the old law, what it was for. And so Jesus says, you have heard that it has been said, refers to the old law. And then he says, but I say unto you. So let's look at Jesus' way of dealing with offenses. First, in verse 39, he says, resist not evil. Or resist no evil. Most translations render this something like resist not an evil person or resist not one who is evil or one who does evil. Certainly we are to stand against evil and not to give evil any place in our lives, in our hearts. But this is in regards to how we react to the person who treats us in an evil way or an unkind way. Some way offends us. And Jesus gives four examples for us of real-life types of things that can happen and how we should respond. The first example is an example of personal offense. The one who would slap you on the cheek. Slap on the face. In this time, in Jesus' time, and even today, would be considered offensive. Particularly, slapping someone with the backside of your hand was considered offensive. And that is what is indicated in his description here. Someone who strikes you on the right cheek. If I was going to strike you on the right cheek, I'm right-handed, I'd take my right hand and I'd, I'd backhand you. In Jesus' time, that was considered to be extremely offensive to treat somebody like that, to give them a flick on the cheek. It was an insult. So this example is not speaking so much of being injured or suffering physical pain as much as it's speaking of the insult that was given with the blow. The blow to the ego of the offended one. And Jesus' command here was to take the offense and even offer the other cheek as well. When somebody does something that's insulting or offensive or puts us down, our natural tendency is defense. We may even be tempted to hit back, maybe not with our hands, but with words. to pay the other person back, to defend our integrity, to put that other person in their place. You know, if somebody insults us, we, we, want, to, we want to discredit them and build credit for ourselves. 
So our natural response is defensive, as of defense and re, or even retaliation. But Jesus said that our response should be the opposite of that, of being willing to sacrifice our other cheek. In other words, sacrifice our feelings, our what we feel like is our personal integrity, maybe, if that's being attacked. Rather than to do or say anything to get even, to defend ourselves. Jesus himself was our perfect example. In 1 Peter 2.23 it says, Who, speaking of Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Jesus was offended. He was treated terribly. But he committed himself to God who judges righteously, judges correctly. That's what we're called to do. God's the judge, not us. Not that other person that offends us. And you know, this verse, I think, was referring to Jesus suffering before his death. But that wasn't the only time that Jesus was reviled. There were many times in his ministry that he was that he had false accusations thrown against him. And I think I'm correct in saying this that Jesus never defended himself, but he defended his father. At least he never, I don't think Jesus ever in an aggressive way defended himself. But his heavenly father, he did defend. The second example here in these verses is an example of a legal issue. He says, if someone sues you at the law, and takes away your coat, give your cloak as well. The coat that he is speaking of here, or some translations would say tunic, was a Jewish inner garment, and the cloak was the outer garment, like a robe, a heavier garment. So Jesus is saying that if someone sues you and takes your inner garment, you should give him the outer to go along with it. And there's significance in that that I didn't go into in my notes, but the outer garment is spoken to in the Old Testament law that if you took a man's outer garment, his robe, as a pledge for a loan or or something that he promised, you had to return that to him by nightfall so that he had something to cover himself with when he slept. And so the outer garment was viewed as a person's rights. He had, you had the right to your outer garment. Nobody could take it away, so to speak. But Jesus is saying, give it all away. If, if somebody sues you and, and takes the one, let them, let them have both.
And I think this demonstrates a willingness, again, to give up our rights and our possessions. Many people in the world expend tremendous energy holding on to their rights, holding on to their possessions. But Jesus is saying that's not to be our focus as his followers. In Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. We tend to think that our lives do consist of what we possess. And we do all we can to hang on to what we have. And so what Jesus is saying here to our human mind, our human way of thinking, it seems inconceivable to do this. If somebody demands something from me, I'll grudgingly give what the law requires, but to give more, why? Why would I do that? It goes against our human thinking. And I see two purposes or two blessings in this teaching. The first is that I think that it helps us to understand how in God's kingdom we're to view possessions, realizing that they aren't the substance of who we are. They aren't the substance of our lives and our existence. And we need to also realize that If they're taken away, we serve a God that can restore, if that's his will. And another thing that I think that it's a blessing is that it exemplifies that God's way is of greater value than any earthly possessions that can ever be taken away from us. If we, by suffering some loss, bring glory to God, and possibly point someone to to the Lord, there's more value in that than in possessions. If by losing our possessions, we gain Christ, we find our all in him, that's worth more than those possessions were worth. Moving on to the third example he gives here is more of a political issue, one of being what we're required to do by those in power over us. Jesus says that if we're compelled to go a mile, go too. During the time of Jesus, the Jews were under Roman rule. And according to their laws, a soldier could command a civilian person to carry their load for a mile. One example in the Bible of such conscription was at Jesus' crucifixion where Simon of Cyrene was commanded to carry the cross of Christ. Those soldiers had the, the authority to, whoever they chose, 
they could point at you and say, carry my load, and you had no option but to do it. I'm sure that if you refused, it wouldn't have been good. So imagine a Jewish man who was under the Roman rule. You were living in your own land, but yet there was an outside nation, heathen nation, in control of your, of your land and your people. And suddenly, this man is accosted and told to carry this load for a mile. And he has no option but to obey. What's his attitude going to be? He's going to put the pack on his back or whatever it is, and he's going to walk that mile with that Roman soldier, and he is going to be fuming inwardly and probably plotting some kind of revenge that he knows he'll never be able to carry out until that mile is up. And Jesus is saying that rather than grudgingly complying and inwardly rebelling, that his way is to cheerfully comply and to go the extra mile, go the second mile, not just the one. Why? Again, I think it speaks of giving up what we consider to be our rights. It highlights the fact that the Christian life is a life of service to others, not a life of what can I gain for myself. Our lives should be lived for others, not for self. When Adam and Eve sinned, self took the throne in man's heart and dethroned God. God was kicked off the throne of the heart. And self took that position. Jesus is pointing out that in him, in Christ, we need to give up self and put God back on the throne. Let him direct our lives as he sees fit. Even if it means walking that second mile with that Roman soldier. The fourth example Jesus gives here is one of business or financial dealings. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. The Jews in the Old Testament were commanded to lend freely to their fellow Jews, especially to those who are in need. They were to be generous with those who had, who had material needs. God's intent for his people was for those who had material blessings to, to help materially with those who were experiencing hard times. I'd like to read two verses from Deuteronomy 15. I'd like to read these from the New King James Version. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, 
within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend sufficient for his need, whatever it is. There was clear teaching there in Deuteronomy that they were to freely open their hand to help someone who didn't have as much as they did. There's also a number of Proverbs that speak to this, and I just thought I'd read them. This morning, Proverbs 19:17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Now, just because we give something to somebody who has less, I don't think that God's necessarily going to just give it back to us every time. But God has a blessing. When we give to the one who is in need, God has a blessing for us. Proverbs 22.9, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth his bread to the poor. There again, blessing for being bountiful and giving. Proverbs 28.27, He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. In other words, the person who sees and gives has blessing. The person who turns their eyes away and doesn't even look upon the need of their brother, it says, will be cursed. God has given us many good things, and he wants us to use them, to use what we have to bless others. Not just to hoard to ourselves. We live in a culture where ownership and possession are esteemed. But I think Jesus here is teaching us to be open, to be sharing, using them for the good of others. A New Testament command from 1 John 3, verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? John's making it clear. If we see our brother has a need and we have what it takes to meet that need and we don't give, the love of God does not dwell in us. Probably a good judge of how much we value our money or our possessions is how easy or how hard it is to give when we see someone in need. Or how hard or easy it is to loan something out that's going to help somebody else in their, in their time of need. You know, it's challenging to me. You know, when I see somebody in need, how, how easy is it for me to, to give, to lend freely to that need? So here we have these four directives, to turn the other cheek, to give more than is demanded, to go the extra mile, and to give generously. All of these 
have to do with giving up of our rights and our possessions. Now, I think that it's clear in these verses that Jesus is teaching that the things that we hold dear, the material things of this world, and our rights, which really is self, hold little value in God's kingdom. But rather, what is to be valued is in giving up of these things and a display of love, and a display of submission, putting others ahead of ourselves. God wants his people to be doing good for others, blessing others, not focusing on self and hoarding for, for self. There's something about the willingness to cheerfully surrender our rights and our possessions that speak powerfully to other people. I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'd like to read Philippians 2, 4 through 11. These are familiar verses, but I want you to think about what these verses say. I'm going to read these this morning. From the New King James Version, I think it says it in a little clearer way. Philippians 2, starting at verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So that's what we're talking about here in Matthew 5. Not looking out for our own interests, but the interests of others. Now let's continue. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about what these verses are saying. It says that we are to look not, look out not, for our own interests only, but also for the interests of others. And he likens that to what Christ did in leaving the glories of heaven, in leaving his position by the side of God the Father to come to this sin-cursed earth, to suffer the difficulties of humanity, to be rejected by a lot of people in, in society to be rejected to the point of being tortured and crucified. Jesus gave his all so that we could have the opportunity to be saved, so that we could have an opportunity to have a relationship with God and to have a future hope of eternity in heaven. That's how 
that's the mindset that we're supposed to have when it comes to relating to others. Now, how can we, if we claim to be following Jesus, how can we hold on to our rights and hold on to our possessions and still demonstrate to the world that love that Jesus showed through his sacrifice? If we want to promote the message of Jesus and his love, and his willingness to suffer for all mankind, we're not going to be able to do it and still hold tightly to the things of this life, this world, our possessions and our rights. It's often been marveled at, at how in times of severe persecution, the church has grown and flourished. We see it in history, and we can see it today in places where Christianity is is under severe persecution. It seems like the more the church of Christ is oppressed, the more it has a way of growing and spreading. And here's why. The secret is in these verses of what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5. Because at those times, we have people that are demonstrating these things by willingly suffering loss, by willingly suffering rejection, by willingly dying because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In times of no persecution, times of prosperity, we so often focus on self, on our possession, on our rights, and the church becomes stagnant. But there's something attractive about people who believe so deeply in what they believe that they're willing to give up money, possessions, and rights in order to hold on to their faith in order to promote what they believe. In many parts of the world today, that is the Muslim people. They're willing to give up self because of what they believe. How do we compare? Are we laying down our rights and our possessions in order to display God's love and the gospel message to the world around us? Think about it in a practical way. There's little things that we can do daily to show God's love, to demonstrate these principles. Certainly, we don't need to have persecution to put these verses into practice. I thought about it, and I thought... How, how do we act if somebody tries to cut into line in front of us? Do we go the second mile, like Jesus said we're to do with the Roman soldier? Do we cheerfully step back and say, yeah, sure, go ahead? Or are we defensive? Are we hanging on to our rights 
There's little things like that that we can do. I found these verses challenging to myself and see that I have a lot of room to grow. And so my challenge for us this morning is that as we go forth from here, let's go forth with the determination to display God's love, display, to display the gospel message by the way we give up, give up of self, give up of our rights, give up of our possessions in order to promote Christ and his message. May God bless you.